And I want to tell you about the California Gold Surf Auction, historically and culturally significant surfboards on the auction block by and from legendary surfers and shapers, Dick Brewer, Barry Kaniapuni, Jerry Lopez, Reno Abalera, George Greeno, Greg Knoll, Hobie, Ben Ipa, Tom Parrish, Rennie Yater, Al Merrick, Bill Stewart, Terry Fitzgerald, Skip Fry, Michael Peterson, Bruce Jones, Richard Gomez, Dewey Weber, Hanson, Steve Liss, Mike Turkington, Mickey Dora, Roger Hines, Bing Copeland, Phil Edwards, Mark Andrini, Kimo Hollinger, Jeff Crawford, and Tom Curran. Whew. That's a lot of history, and that's a lot of significance. You can preview all of the lots beginning at the end of March. The action heats up in earnest as lots begin closing April 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And lots close every two minutes. CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com, our Instagram, California Gold Surf Auction. You can also find us on Facebook and download the app and bid from anywhere in the world in real time using your smartphone or tablet or bid using your personal computer or laptop. CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com. Everyone knows somebody like Joe Turpel, sincere, kind-hearted. He's a listener. The type of person that exudes optimism, the type of person that turns lemons into lemonade, the type of person that makes you feel important. There's a rather trite and cliche saying, how you make others feel about themselves says a lot about you. And it's trite and cliche because it's true. Joe Turpel has been broadcasting surfing for well over a decade. He's the lead broadcaster for the WSL-CT coverage and has been the face and voice of professional surfing for an entire generation. And whether you realize it or not, we are all better because of it. On the next Boardroom Podcast, Joe Turpel, let us begin. Um, welcome, Joe Turpel, to the Boardroom Podcast. Joe, it's great to see you, bud. Gosh, it's so good to see you, man. I was just thinking, um, gosh, last time I was on your show, it was, it was the Bassi and Baldy program, and that was almost exactly a decade ago. <laughs> I know, man. Time flies. It, it has been 10 years since Baldy and I were doing our thing on the radio here in San Diego. Uh, so cool. I remember I was in a hotel. I was so happy you guys had reached out and I think I was on the way to the search event in San Francisco and that was a, that was a really good experience. So great to, great to see you again. Let's not make it another 10 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it, and it's good to see you and thanks for making time. I really appreciate it. You're, you're quarantined right now for 14 days in a hotel room. Wild. Isn't that just out of control? <laughs> yeah, I was in a hotel room last time we did this, but I was free to do whatever I wanted. Yeah, it's been different. It's uh, technically it's day six, but when we checked in travel day, even though we got here in the morning, 
they said, oh, you know what? Today's day zero. So tomorrow we start 14 days. So it was a little like extra blow when we were checking in. So I guess I'm actually on day five and uh, on day 14, we'll be able to to kick out of here. Can't wait. (laughs) What is the very first thing you do when they give you the green light to leave your room? What's the very first thing you do? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm packing up the night before because what I heard is we can leave at 4 a.m. at the earliest. Uh, people, you can leave up until eight that night. It's the whole day. I'm like, is anyone going to ask for a late checkout? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to get straight in the ocean. I'm, I'm just dying to, even if I'm just jumping in, I, I just want to connect with, with Mother O <laughs> real quick and rinse it all off, get some sunshine because I have, I have windows yeah. but I can't actually go outside in my arrangement. Some people do have balconies, but uh, I just, yeah, looking forward to some vitamin D. Let me ask you this, which of the men and the women on the CT do you think are handling the quarantine the best? It's interesting because there's all the high fueled kind of personalities that are, you know, maybe the overachievers uh, prep wise on tour that I'm a little worried about, you know, um, yeah. you can put like Italo in that, you know, even yeah, Courtney. And then, you know, I was just talking to Michelle earlier today and he just has a rhythm. He's hanging with his family. Jeremy's kind of in the same thing. I feel like the family thing takes uh, a little bit more of your time. So you can kind of displace yourself from your situation if you're solo and you can kind of put it into other things. So I feel like just the calmer dispositions, like a Yago Dora, he's cruising. He's probably reading a book, maybe meditating upside down or something <laughs> cool. You know, it's just those people that have like a nice calm rhythm and can stay patient and take it day by day. I think we'll, we'll come out on top. What does your day look like in quarantine? I mean, I mean, are we talking a lot of Netflix? Obviously, you're throwing some uh, exercise in there. What, what's a typical day in quarantine like for you? Yeah. You know what? It, the WSL has been keeping me busy. So I've been doing some VO work. I've been doing uh, a podcast called caught inside and I've been sort of the, the mornings are filled with that. And then I'm checking in with my family and friends. And it's funny, the first couple of days I was like, Oh cool. All these books. I'm going to have all this time. And all of a sudden I got busy in quarantine. <laughs> you know, I had all this stuff to do. So yesterday I finally started a series called uh, Yellowstone and I got through one episode and then I had to do something else. So I haven't actually had this thing where I'm like staring at the minutes, you know, in the morning yet. I've been kind of packed with my schedule. So tell me about Cotton Side. What's Cotton Side all about? Yeah. Cotton Side was, uh, they told me it was going to be my therapy because I'd be here for so long. And it's just catching up with surfers who are going through this experience and just seeing how they're doing. So we're expecting it to get a little loopy when it's like day 10, 12 and see if people are going, okay, get me out of here. You know? So yeah. it's sort of just catching up how they're preparing, uh, because normally the routine is getting down to the contest area, trying out boards and now it's all visualization, meditation, trying to stay sane, really. Well, um, one of the things I've noticed, and you've been doing this for a long time, is you're an excellent guitar player and an excellent singer. And you really are, Joe. You've got a great voice. How long have you been playing guitar? Uh, thanks, Scott. I, uh, I was in a punk band in college. So I moved to Redondo Beach and my roommate was from the South Bay. And so he was influenced by the punk scene there, like Pennywise 
and all those bands. So he played punk music. I didn't play guitar, but I, I love to sing. And so we started a punk band. And when we were in the punk band, I was writing music and singing. And then as I was doing that, I got a acoustic guitar from Costco for like a hundred bucks. And he just started teaching me, my buddy, Kevin just started teaching me chords. And all I wanted to do was play like three chords and then I could write a song. So I'm not that guy that was like a jukebox. Like, Hey, play this for us. You know, I'm not, I can't do that, but I can make up something. And so I started just writing songs and it helped me in the punk band, write music for the band as well. When I could kind of figure out a, a melody and then present it to the band. So that was gosh, back, that was like 20 years ago or something. Now I don't feel like I'm an incredible guitar player. I feel like I, I really enjoy writing songs and I play simple things. Like when people want to jam, sometimes I get lost. I'm like, Oh shoot. And then usually good guitar players are like, Hey, what, why don't you play? We'll follow you. So I feel like, uh, that happens a lot when I'm around people and I, I just enjoy it. Like through college, it was all about like, Hey, let's hang out, grab a few beers and play music. Those are my favorite days for sure. And where did you go to school? I went to UC Santa Barbara. And before that, I went to a small school called Marymount. So I transferred up there. I even did a year at the City College in Santa Barbara and then uh, transferred over to UCSB. And gosh, had a blast. Some, still, some of my best friends today are from that era back in Isla Vista. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Most Californians know about Isla Vista. Uh, quite, a, quite a situation there. Oh, for sure, man. It's like nowhere else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, well, let me get a little bit of Joe Trapel backstory because I, I really don't know too much about you. And I think the listeners might enjoy getting some of this information. So real quick, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to high school? That kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I moved around a lot. So I was born in a place called San Dimas, California. Usually when I say that, people remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I think that's where it was based. I can't tell you how to get there because I wasn't really in that town, but uh, I was born there. And then we lived in a place called Diamond Bar uh, for about five years. It was a really interesting choice my parents told me. They're like, my dad was working at Universal Studios in Hollywood. My mom was teaching at Laguna Beach High School and then San Clemente. And so they were a new family and they're like, oh, we'll buy this house out here. And then we're like in the middle of where we both need to be. What they realized is they gave each other, they both had a big commute instead of just one having a commute. So yeah. we stayed there for a handful of years. And then my dad went on strike at his job and moved us to Hawaii because he he spent a lot of time there when he was a kid because uh, my grandpa was in the military. So he was always dying to go back. And then I was in Hawaii uh, from, gosh, till I was 13 and then moved back to Laguna Niguel and went from eighth grade to senior year of high school at uh, Elisa Niguel High School and then graduated, moved to Redondo Beach in San Pedro for the junior college situation. Was going to go to UH, changed my mind last minute. And then I just took a few classes at Santa Barbara City, then got into UCSB and then floated around from there. Went from Santa Barbara to Hermosa Beach for a year, San Clemente for a few more years. And now I'm back in Hawaii. <laughs> so wow. it's been a wild adventure. Well, tell me a little bit. I, I read something online about how you sort of got into the broadcasting business. 
Yeah, it was fun. When I was at UC Santa Barbara, it was like any college student changing my major daily and start off like business and trying to figure it out. I was able to kind of zero in that I was really attracted to broadcasting. I had a sports management class at UCSB that was taught by the baseball coach and he was so cool. And I, I was sort of like opening up and how I enjoyed the play-by-play role. And he encouraged me to get a internship calling minor league games. And somehow I, I changed my mind, didn't do that and got an internship at KEYT. It's like an ABC affiliate um, in Santa Barbara just like a channel three local station and met a lot of great people, worked in the newsroom, wrote copy. They ended up putting me on like all the kicker parts of the news. You know, they, they tell you all this bad news at the end, there's something light at the end. So yeah. they'd be like, Hey, Hey, Terpel, you write the kicker again. And I'd have these corny dad jokes that I would just, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was fun, but I realized I was so restless. I was always like, Hey, anytime you guys go out on like a call, I'd love to go or whatever it was. And, and so I got to do, a public restroom story on state street in Santa Barbara. It was the whole idea was there no public restrooms on state street and the city would pay restaurants or stores to allow the public to use their restrooms. But these stores don't really want that kind of traffic just flooding in just to use their bathroom. So they didn't mind collecting the check every month. They, all they had to do is put a sign up. So they put this tiny sign that said, Hey, public restrooms here. And so my big break getting on the, you know, I was in front of the camera was I had a hidden microphone on me. I didn't know you could do this, but I was just random people were walking up and I was like, Hey, where's the bathroom? And I was standing under the sign. They're filming it across the street and people would be like, Oh, this guy's got to go. You know, (laughs) some people were like, Oh dude, I just went run down to the Harbor, man. Go, go down there. And then I remember I met this lady that was from Europe and she couldn't speak English, but she wanted to try. She was trying to help me. And I knew she couldn't understand me. I was finally like, it's okay. Have a great day. And she like, didn't want to leave. And it ended up being a really fun uh, little bit that I was kind of like, oh, that was a lot of fun. I love being outside and, and working on projects like that. <laughs> so that was my first kind of, you know, experience seeing like, a, you know, even the sports show would go on at night at the news station and I'd be watching the news guys preparing and the sports guys preparing. And I was just really intrigued by that whole process. I, I really was like, wow, this is so cool. And, and then eventually was able to translate it into surfing soon after. And, and how did that take off? It's my understanding that you were, you know, you were doing the microphone for like QS events or no, that wasn't the NSSAs. Weren't you doing the NSSA nationals or something? Totally. That's how it all started for, for actually getting consistent work and, and realizing what I was going to do in the future. I approached, cause I did the UCSB uh, college team and we had fun doing that when we, when I was competing in it there, I, I'd always hear the beach announcers uh, kind of do their thing. And I was like, man, I really want to give that a shot. And so when I graduated, I was watching some of my friends compete that were still in school down at Salt Creek. And I went up to Janice Aragon and Galen Clifford who run the NSSA. And I was like, Hey, do you guys need someone to do these things? And uh, I remember nationals at the time was coming up a couple big events. And they're like, well, we didn't, we're not sure what's going to come out of your mouth yet. And I was like, Oh, that's fair. And she's like, come back next fall and we'll give you a shot. And for me, I, I was like, okay, well, we'll go from there. And I sort of moved on. I was trying to like get job sales repping and things like that. And and then I got an email from Gaylene and she was like, Hey, it's coming up September. The fall's kicking off. 
let's go. We'll see you on it's Saturday at six o'clock in the morning. And I showed up and next thing you know, I was doing the whole season and that really is where everything took off. Cool. And, and how did you get your big break, um, you know, into the QS or into the CT situation? Yeah. So the first, uh, I did that season and that was, uh, probably when Kolohe was about 12, uh, Connor about 12, they, that's kind of the time it was. And at the end of nationals that year, there was a Billabong CT event for women. And it was really a cool opportunity. My sister at the time was working at Billabong and she, and I got to meet, um, Megan Brainerd, who is a team manager there, Graham Stapleberg, uh, got an Australian guy, Sterling Halland that was in charge of all the broadcasts and Billabong pro events at the time. And I was sort of throwing emails all the time going, Hey, Hey, if you need a shot, let me know. And David Stanfield had done this event the year before, but he hadn't had confirmation on the following year. They, once they reached back to him and said, yep, it's on. He had already booked a dog show because he works in a lot of different formats. And so then they were like, oh shoot, we need someone. They, and Megan, uh, who was working there said, what about Joe and, and Graham Stapleberg? Gee, he was like, yeah, okay, let's give him a shot. And all of a sudden that was my first broadcast where I was, you know, had the headset on, I was in the booth. It was pretty simple back then. I mean, you didn't have any rotations or breaks you called the entire event. And, uh, that was when, uh, everything started focusing towards broadcast and I started picking up more events. Was that just a public broadcast, like a public address situation or were you webcasting at that time? That was a, yeah. So that was the first webcast uh, yeah. I ever did 2007, um, up in Northern Brazil. Wow. Cool. Tell me a little bit, um, switching gears just to touch here. What's the broadcast team like for the Australian leg coming up? Yeah. You know what? I haven't officially heard all the names yet, to be honest. I know you'll see like the characters like Ronnie Blakey. Um, world champs like uh, Wayne Rabbit, Bartholomew. I think there'll be some special appearances from, you know, former pros since they will be going to a lot of towns like North Nairobi and like the Laura Enever stories. And, and so right now I think they're working on the groundwork of splitting up New South Wales and Western Australia and who will be there for the long haul. So I, I bet there's going to be a lot of new characters on the team as far as, you know, the, the usual team, I I'm the only one coming from the States. So I'll be joined with a lot of the Australian surf legends of the game. So it'll be fun. Cool. Well, that'll be fun to check out and see who, who steps into the booth. I was actually uh, in, in my notes. I was, I was thinking to myself, well, okay. So if you're going to Newcastle, I would imagine that Mark Richards is going to make an appearance as sort of a guest, right? Totally. So yeah, guys like that who are in the area and you think Newcastle and North Nairobi and you're just going, oh my gosh, these surf towns are just filled with uh, champions and incredible surfers and so much history. So I got an email from MR the other day about a board he was hoping to get here from Hawaii. I wasn't there. I was coming out of California, but he, he's really excited for the event. So I, I could see how special it would be for for someone like MR going, wait, everyone's coming back to my beach. It's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Another name from that area is Luke Egan, right? So Luke's from Newcastle. So maybe he's a guy that could, you know, show up in the booth. Yeah. And he was in Hawaii working a lot with Julian and Julian's living in Newcastle now. So guaranteed Luke will be around and, you know, getting out when he has a break from coaching. Uh, it's always so fun to hear from Louie. He's, he's, he's the best. Yeah. Um, 
So my co-host and antagonist on my other podcast that I do, he's of the opinion, uh, Joe, that WSL events could be judged from a judging booth, a studio in Santa Monica, taking away the pressure, either real or perceived, from being on site, from perhaps being too close to the, to the talent, to the labor pool. What are your thoughts on, on this concept of removing the judges from, this, from being on site and just having them in a studio at the WSL in Santa Monica? Uh, it's impossible. There's no way. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Sorry to be so blunt, but no, I, I, love I mean, it. if you've been at a surf event, it's just like the most important thing is where the judges are and their view. And I think a lot of, you know, gosh, maybe even 90% of all the heats that people are losing their minds over are because of a camera angle that shows the wave differently from where the judges are. Like when you're watching the broadcast, it's very important. They're always, you know, focused on showing that judge's angle, but you know what it's like in the water when your friend does a turn at you and you're looking at it like from this angle and you're like, Oh, that was big. And then you see it from the front on you're like, Oh, that was actually kind of flat, you know? So I think that the judges, if anyone needs to be there, it is the judges have to be on site, uh, seeing where they are having that first, you know, line of sight outside of the camera and to make sure they're seeing it in person in real time. I think that is so crucial. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell them, I'll tell them that you said no. Yeah. I, in, a, in a polite way, in a polite way. I just, oh, yeah. Uh, but of course, no, but of disagree, course. Disagree. Disagree. Yeah. All right. uh, <laughs> let's talk Newcastle a little bit because um, I don't think this is a, a spot that, that the fans of the WSL um, and perhaps our listeners know a lot about. What can you tell me or tell the listeners about the break itself? What is this wave going to be like for us? Yeah, Newcastle is interesting for me personally, too. I, I've never been there before. So uh, my, my perception is what I've seen online for the, the qualifying series. It looks like it has a whole lot of different moods from what I've seen. I've seen some big, big days where it's absolutely pump, get pumping. Uh, Bosco, that classic photographer, just posted a shot where it looks like pipeline, you know, and I've seen days too online where it looks windy, stormy, really challenging and just, and a tough beach break. So, uh, I'm kind of going to be getting there early to check it out myself too. But from what I've seen in the past, there's, there's a, a lot of range in size, depending on how much swell we get on, if it can move off the bank a bit and give some long rides. And then it can also get incredibly challenging, uh, just like any other beach break could do around the world. So. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat of a lot of us looking forward to getting there early and, and kind of doing some scouting of my own. Uh, when I look at a, a, a wave like Newcastle, it's, it's certainly not, um, you know, it's not bells or anything. It's not like in many people's eyes, it's not a world-class wave. And so when I see the, the CT surfers, I think to myself, well, who's going to do well here? Like who has the upper hand here? And I certainly, um, I think there's a, a big chunk of the CT guys that could do well. There's a couple of guys where I go, ah, oh, you know what? I, I don't think Jack Robinson necessarily, like this isn't going to be like his breakout showcase location, but I do think of strategic surfers such as Kanoa and even Sally Fitzgibbons on the women's side who have to sit on the beach and go, okay, look, it might not be perfect, but for me to get out of this heat and to do well in this event, I need to kind of think it through. Are there some surfers in the CT do you think will do better at a spot that's really, in my opinion, I think in the opinion of many, 
it's more or less a QS event. I know we had to band-aid this thing together and we're doing a hell of a job doing it. What are your thoughts on who's going to do well here at Newcastle, given the fact that we do think it, it could be sort of challenging? Oh, yeah. It, it just speaks to those qualifying series grinder, you know, cut type personalities, you know, the, the Leo Fioravanti's that, that know how to win, you know, it's going to speak to Ryan Callanan being a local boy, you know, Jackson Baker will have the wild card representing Newey. So I think that's going to be huge for local knowledge. They'll, they'll be ready for everything. And there's some guys, you know, like the Michelles, like the older crew that just didn't go to Newcastle because they, they were always requalifying on the CT. I feel like it'll be a whole clean slate for them. So, uh, advantage is for probably the younger, just recently qualified guys that were, are going to be very hungry. Uh, they're going to be fired up on that first heat, no matter what the waves look like, but it's kind of speaking to the whole tour, to be honest, from people that have been on tour for two years to, to 10 or 12, everyone's just had time off. They, they don't want any more time off and they're not being picky at this stage. So, right. I kind of think everyone's coming out blazing with, okay, we get to do this again. It's, it's a real tangible feeling that I've been feeling lately yeah. from even guys that you might be like, ah, oh, they might be kind of like, oh, this wave's not what I'm looking for. I'm moving on. So I feel like everyone's going to be pretty inspired. Also, maybe not knowing how many events we could have this year. Every heat that you're not really thinking, oh, this will be my throwaway. You're going, yeah, you got to win every heat. It's going to be short. People are getting, going to fall off tour this year, no matter how many events there are. So every heat has so much more importance on it. Yeah, that's a great point. And that was one of my questions is, is I, I'm assuming now that we're going to backfill the, the, the last 10 guys with the QS, just like we did moving forward as if this was a normal year. It, it's a, it's a year. So yeah. it's a, we started with pipeline and, now we've, we're really, really lucky to have four events here. It's going to go, it's going to be rapid fire. And then I think once that happens, reset, find out what's going to happen for the back end of the year. And the goal will be to be at the rip curl WSL finals at lower. So I, I think, uh, I just feel like if you're competing that kind of spirit of the unknown in the time of the, the of the planets in right now, even if the, the conditions are blown out and not your strong suit, you're going to be doing everything you can to win that heat. So, yeah, you're right. In the past, there's been, you know, events like maybe what I, I won't even mention certain events, but there's been ones where guys are like, ah, eh, you know what, this will be my throwaway. I'm good to go. Let's just wait until we get to some real surf. And that's simply not the case, as you mentioned. Yeah, you could tell, you could tell, gosh, over surfing history when someone was sort of just beat already just by the way the waves look or, all of a sudden they've been on the road for a while and they see just tough conditions and they're just not inspired, you know? And I think, uh, usually the people that had that the most were the people that had the luxury to be there. You know, they're already in the top 10, maybe they're outside of the title race. They didn't really know, you know, they didn't feel a sense of urgency to apply themselves to was in front of them, but the guys that always found a way to win, if the title's on the line, you see that in incredible connection to whatever they're surfing, and guys that are trying to hang on to their tour life, I think now with the shrunken tour, the top 34, top 17, top to bottom are, are kind of feeling that in that first heat. They're going to have that importance of success right away. Yeah, that's going to be, I think, important, too, for you guys as the broadcast team to sort of really kind of um, express what you've expressed here. You know, that every single heat matters now. Like, I mean, we used to say that and now it, like this is the truth. A big guy like Wade Carmichael or a big guy like Jordy Smith, if we're looking at, you know, 
two to four foot Newcastle. Holy crap, the pressure's on, especially if they didn't get a result at pipe. I kind of forget how Jordy did. How did Jordy do at pipe, do you recall? Yeah, Jordy ended up getting an equal fifth at pipe. Um, And then, yeah, Wade was out relatively early. But yeah, there's some people that just had sleepers. You think of Julian Wilson, he had like his worst result that he sat at pipe. He, He got knocked out by Jack Robinson really early. So he'll be looking to really springboard back. I mean, the only reason a guy like Wilson's on tour is to finally solidify a world title. So I'm, I know all he's doing is focusing. He's lucky that he's been at Newcastle ever since he got home. So but, I'm, I'm looking for him to impress us a lot too. That's a great story. I think is, is the pressure, is he going to, you know, feel the pressure in round one or whenever the first, you know, whenever there's, you know, a situation where he's going to get disqualified. I'm, I'm looking to, to see how Julian Wilson, you know, handles it. And he's won Newcastle, so he's so prepared. And the wave can get quite good. And so even there's so much potential there. There's the whole mix. You're reminded just as a surfer, too. I mean, we can go to Snapper and we could be at D-Ba. You could, you know, go to Tahiti and it could be based on turns. It's just the life of of a surfer day to day. And so the fun part of our sport, too, is just going, okay, here's your conditions who's going to be able to rise to that occasion. And you look at the defending world champ, a guy like Italo, he's a guy that never, ever shrugs his shoulders at no matter what the waves look like, if it's pumping or if it's completely flat, he's seeing something exciting out there. I think that's why he's such a fan favorite because he's not faking that. He's not trying to coach himself to be like, Oh, come on. It'll be fun today. Like he is literally in that moment where he'll see a one foot wave and he's like, Oh, I got to get out there. He's like, <laughs> he's that connected to it. It's, yeah. it's really amazing. That's cool. He's frothing. Tell me, um, are there some backup spots regarding Newcastle? Or are there a couple of other, like, you know, Oh, the wind's a little bit weird. Let's move down the beach. Or are we looking strictly at one spot? Good question. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, we'll see what, yeah, we'll see how, what they have in store for us. Um, I know there's a lot of potential around there too. So I I'm not quite sure on that one. Yeah. Um, moving to Narrabeen, um, this location has a ton of history as far as competitive surfing. And as you probably know, Joe, cause I know you do your homework this year marks the 40th anniversary of Simon Anderson using his thruster divine design in 1981, he won bells and he won pipeline. And in between that, he won the Coke event at Narrabeen on the thruster. So are we going to include something um, about Simon or is there some backstory that you guys are going to fill in as a broadcast team regarding the history of, of Simon and, and competitive surfing in Arabian in general? I mean, we have some great stories with, with Wayne Lynch um, coming back in 75 from basically hiding out. And uh, tell me about how you guys strategize as a broadcast team regarding basically doing backfill when we have downtime. Yeah, no, it's great. The production team has had so much time to to look at that and to prepare it. And I felt like all those pieces of pipeline were so fun to watch, all the, the top 50 moments that were unveiled. So yeah, no, for sure. The production team has been really working hard at that. I'm not in a lot of those meetings. I, I get to hear about it as they as they get more down the track. But yeah, they've they're looking at all the history there, all the big names, the the Simon moment, all that will be really fun to watch. I know each event is an opportunity to get reminded on what happened on those, those beaches. It's like hollowed ground, you know? So that'll be fun along with the new events, you know, on the calendar, like Rotnest and all that, you know, 
uh, it's, it's an opportunity for our, our production team to really tell some, some unique stories, uh, getting off our, our normal script of, of the routine events we always see. Yeah. Um, and, and the waves at Narrabeen, maybe if you could give the listeners a little bit of insight about what the waves like there. Yeah, the waves really fun. I think if people remember a lot of the world junior championship titles that were more recently, uh, really rippable. They've got the alley rights right there where it's got a nice steep lip on it. Uh, really crazy crowd on a normal day, but really high performance. A lot of big carves can go down really rippable. And it, it's a great venue. I'd say on the Northern beaches too, it's probably the most consistent spot for waves. There's the car park zone that gets a crazy off the wall style barrel on a bigger swell, but uh, the main break should be really rippable, a, a shorter, right, long left. And, and uh, gosh, if you remember Keiko Bacalso, uh, Jad Sinandre had an, a, a great final there in those World Junior Series. Nat Young, Mark Lacamar um, had a really good high performance day, long, really stretched out left, shorter, steeper right for, for really big air. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone back there. A lot of these guys like Jordy Smith, Adriana, remember their junior titles at this wave. So a lot of them have those early memories of competing there. Who do you see of those guys on the CT, the men's and the women's um, sort of, I know it's hard when you don't know what the waves are going to be like to sort of pick a winner, but is there a guy that, that you go like, oh, maybe it's Ryan Callahan, Callahan or um, I think Connor O'Leary is really on everyone's radar. Um, who do you see standing out just, you know, off the top of your head? I know it's kind of a rough pick. Yeah. Uh, for North Narrabeen, I think it's going to be, gosh, it's, I think there's going to be a real big resurgence I'm feeling of, of, of packaging huge airs and big combinations. So I feel like we've gone through different stages of what's really been rewarded. And I think, uh, I don't know, I'm just sensing this comeback to, to huge rotations coupled with a massive amount of turns. So the Italos are coming to mind. The Medina factor is going to be real there. Uh, I think he's going to be very dangerous. Oddly enough, it feels like Medina is almost like out of his crazy spotlight because the amount of noise Italo makes on social media, and that's sort of everyone's basis on making a call of what people are doing because it's that's what you're letting into that space. I think Gabriel's been doing a great job to kind of you know, do his own thing, you know, and not put out too much. I almost think he's going to be ready to just pounce on these couple of events for a guy that can create moments and lackluster positions, uh, conditions. That's like, that's a guy like Gabe. So I've got a big feeling about Medina, not just Narrabeen, but even Newcastle. I feel like he's going to come out extremely hot. He's number two in the world too. So he's got a huge opportunity ahead of him. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Because Gabe, um, historically he's had a slow start generally, but I mean, he's already got a second in the very first event. So that kind of wipes that off the board, but generally in Australia, he's kind of like been rather lackluster and he kind of turns it on towards the middle and the back half of the season. So this is new for him as it is for everybody. And it's interesting that you've got your eyes on Gabe Medina. That's cool. I think it's like all about the schedule flip. We're going, okay, this, this year we're starting with pipeline. Who's that going to favor? And yeah, the first heat for Medina at pipe was a little slow and, and he, he got through, but it was a late effort to come back. The conditions were tough and we're like, oh no, is this the theme for him mentally? He actually needs to warm up and get going because pipe, he's never had a bad result. So all of a sudden, yep, he's back in the final, almost winning the thing, looking great. So I think he had a huge advantage uh, starting at pipeline. I think Australia typically, he really has to do a lot of prep. He's got to really get himself 
in the zone to compete. He hasn't had consistent results. At, he's had a win at snapper, but they're not always, you know, keeper results every year. He's uh, been having a tough time with Bells. When you look at his whole career at Bells, he's had one standout moment. And Margaret River isn't completely his place where he runs away with it. So I think it's those venue choices. He'll get a little bit more runway now with Pipe, Newcastle, Narrabeen. That, that's set up for all of his strengths. And then he'll be able to head to the West where he hasn't always gotten his best results, but he'll have so much more momentum that once he gets rolling, it's pretty hard to stop that guy. Yeah, I would agree. Do you mention West Oz and Margaret River would be next after Narrabeen and, and conventional wisdom is like John, John, you know, Margaret River, it's, it's John, John, you know what I mean? And, um, and then there's everyone else, you know, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on John, John's really kind of stranglehold on, on Margaret's? I'm with you. It's like, you can't say Margaret River without saying John, John, and it, it is that big of a difference and maybe more so at Margaret River main break than anywhere else. You know, you always know he's going to be great at the box, great at North Point, of course. But there's a lot of people that step up there in those venues specifically. But on that facey open ocean out the back main break, no one can do the turns that he's doing. And it was really interesting to me that we had the same two guys in the final, you know, this couple of years, almost back to back. We had the one year we finished at Uluwatu. But when you pair the 2017 final, John Kolohe, and then the more recent one with John and Kolohe again, it was like the same result, you know, and you're going, man, if you're on tour, are you just going, I will buy a Pizel ghost, (laughs) just, just buy one and just see, see what John's like, can I do that? You know, if I have that board, is it, do we have to, I mean, we know John's insane, but you'd have to look at everything you were doing from scratch and go, I've got to try to compete with that. Cause it is miles ahead of everyone else, specifically at the main break. Are the box and North point on the, um, on the back burner for the WSL things open up there. I, I'm pretty sure I haven't had an official word. So unofficially, I, but that's usually the program now. So we go there and, and for sure the box is across the bay and that's usually always looked at uh, nowadays since it's uh, one, it's just so incredible, great for the event. So I- I'm counting on it. I'm, I'm hoping so. I haven't had any emails about Margaret River yet though. Yeah. Yeah. And then we move on Joe to, to Rottenest Island, right? Which is definitely a wild card for, you know, just guys like me fans sitting at home that have never been to Western Australia. Um, what do you know about Rottenest Island? I'm sure it's kind of probably semi uh, pretty new to you. I would imagine. Oh, completely. Yeah. It's, it's totally new to me. And all I've been finding is like pictures online and talking story with, with guys like Jack Robinson, what's it like? And it sounds like it's a mini Margaret river in Jack Robinson's description, uh, a, a right that gets air wind into it, a longer left there's slabs on the Island, uh, but where the contest will be, it sounds really rippable. Um, and maybe just a, a nice clean lip line on the right is what I'm imagining. A lot of big tail blows, big carves, and then hopefully that that puff of air wind to see a real high performance act. It, it sounds like it's amazing where you've got uh, people riding on bikes. There's just a couple buses on the island, and I think it'll almost probably feel like that. Pack your stuff on the beach, you know, change on the sand, and paddle out for your heat like a junior event back in the day. So it's going to be rad to have the search back for sure. And 
Rotnest uh, seems like it's really close to Perth, the, the main city in West Oz. So I'm looking forward to it, man. So do the surfers, are, are you guys going to set up shop on the island for the whole event or do you commute? Good question. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I think there are plenty of accommodations there, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm sure once we're there, we need to be on site because I think it would take a half hour to commute. That might be a little rough. So I think uh, I'm pretty sure we'd be staying on the island and getting the calls every day. I was talking to Ian Cairns about Rottenness Island, and he mentioned to me that it's in a unique position. It's it's right on some sort of continental shelf or continental divide. Basically, it's extremely sharky. Have you guys <laughs> have you guys thought about this? I'm sure this might be out of your purview, but uh, <laughs> is there some sort of management team regarding the shark situation oh 100 percent that that's been instilled uh ever since jay bay and the mick fanning and julian wilson moment so and that's not just uh it those locations it's it's everywhere so wherever you know sharks are we you know we have sharks in the ocean but those lineups that it's a constant talk and you see them all the time and they have jet skis patrolling that's always uh wsl making sure they've got skis for each surfer and they'll make sure that they definitely can pull them out of the water. Cause if you, you, you've seen since that moment with Mick and Julian in 2015 in that final, there's been a lot of heat stopped uh, since then there's, you know, Felipe and Kolohe semi-final Margaret river uh, soon after Kolohe got pulled out again at West Oz. So you see that the protocol is, is been in effect ever since. And, you know, if, if that's what Rottenest is going to bring, there's definitely going to be a safety team looking out for him. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, at Seaside Reef here in San Diego, there's there's a crew of regulars. They call themselves the Lot Trolls. A lot of really good red hot surfers, too. And some of these guys um, like the Marshall Brothers and some other kids that that have made their way and made a little bit of a dent here and there on various tours um these lot trolls have this interesting thing joe and it's called the the lot trolls wsl drinking game (laughs) and basically (laughs) what they do is they they get a I guess they get a 12 pack and and you start the game and if there's if there's a 10 point ride you're supposed to shotgun your drink if there's an air reverse it's one sip if Joe talks about the Olympics, it's two sips. Wow. Yeah. If you, I feel responsible, man. If yeah, I, you are now that I know, now that I know this, man, <laughs> they better call an Uber. Jeez. <laughs> One of the things that goes down is every time you mention that Martin Potter is the 89 world champ, yes. three sips of beer. Is that really three? Yeah. So three has this game already been played? It's been set in motion since 2020. Okay. So, but it was oh obviously, goodness. you know, there was, we had to put it on hold. So oh, right. Guys, and then, oh, and then pipe that was with Martin Lynch. So, wow. I was going to be really responsible there for people missing work the next day. If, if you call Kelly the goat, it's four sips. Is it really? I've got to write yeah. these down. This is, I might have to huge. send, I'm going to have to send this to you. Send probably. me, send me a copy of the rules, man. I will. One of those, you know, round two heats. Good luck. <laughs> trolls, trolls are going to need to ride home, man. If you mention sharks and or COVID, these guys have to finish a 30 rack. What? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's if the event gets called off. 
if the event gets called off due to okay, that's out of my hands okay. or COVID, it's a 30 rack. I will send you the rules, but yeah, there's a lot of hangovers basically kind of in, in the balance with how you call this deal. <laughs> this is, I feel, yeah, this is crazy. This is kind of a lot of pressure on me. Leave it to the lot trolls. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good crew. They're good guys. Um, look, there's, there's a lot of buzz in parking lots and, and on social media, really, um, as naive or, or as, a, as ignorant as it may be, Joe, the feeling is, is that many believe, or many don't believe, that Kelly Slater's injured. They're suggesting that it's a convenient way to pass on the rest of the year and have his swan song, which was, you know, sort of taken from him, have his swan song next year. He'll be able to use an injury wildcard exemption and get sort of the send off that frankly, I think we all feel like he deserves it. Um, well, there's no doubt that he deserves it. Um, do you believe that Slater's too injured to surf? I, I think so. I just feel like, I think we're just, this is the weight of Kelly, no matter what era we've been. And remember those years where I think he was chasing waves, literally like he'd be in cloud break and J Bay starting and, and we'd be wondering. So I feel like, those moves back then are making people want to go, wait, really? No, really? Because in history would tell us that, oh, is he distracted by surf? Oh, where's his motivation? And so I think those questions are fair. I think it's like, oh, wait, because we haven't been able to figure it out in the past. So I think uh, right now I do feel like he is injured. He did go on this biking trip uh, before the pipe masters with Shane Dorian. I think Jackson went to, and he did hurt himself. Then he was limping up the beach and, and that kind of set his whole body off in a weird way. Cause he surfed a lot of pipe after a lot of Holiva. And I think he just always wants to be in a position to win. I feel like this decision is a lot harder than people think for Kelly because he's third in the world right now. Exactly. exactly. And so how competitive he is and his belief that on his day, he can still beat anyone, no matter if it's Newcastle or pipe, that's where he, his head is that I don't think he would just miss this event just because he's got something else to do. You know, he's, he's not going on a trip. He, there aren't, isn't like a, a purple blob somewhere he's chasing. He has been out of the water. So I, for my, my feeling on it, it's, I, I feel like he's, he's pretty disappointed. I think he, I think he would really want to be here to compete. So my, my take is that he needs a little time off and, and he'll probably try to, pull anything he can to get here uh, as soon as possible. So is it your thought that he could maybe drop in in Western Oz and do Margaret's and, and Rotness? I feel like with uh, just being in touch with WSL and officials, I feel like if, 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 he, if he feels he's ready, I hope maybe even before that, maybe, maybe before Narrabeen, if he can, I'm not sure the severity of his pain or what he has planned to get to game ready shape, but I feel like he'll try to get here as soon as he can. And even just seeing how Caroline was able to get uh, come here late. Um, I think there's, there's ways they can work with the government and the, the team here in Australia with WSL is just incredible for us. Just being here is such a big deal. And uh, for someone like Kelly to, for, to get him to, to join forces uh, safely, you know, with all the protocol that he'd have to go through, I know they'd be looking into all that. So fingers crossed he's, he can get here as soon as possible. Hopefully, Narabeen. If if not, uh, we'll be counting on West Oz for sure. 
And uh, Carolyn Marks, that's news to me. So I, that was my next question really is because for sure, you know, she's, she's young and ready to go and, and is a world title contender. And so she's over there in Australia now. Yeah. So that was just so devastating to, to see that news. Uh, just she's so fired up. I was uh, checking in at the airport and I was next to Kolohe and he was like, I don't know if anyone was more fired up than Caroline. I feel like the whole tour was just feeling for her. She's young. She's winning events. Think of her Newcastle, Narrabeen, like she, she's like ready to win contests right now. So they, they were able to determine through the results that they did more testing and she was negative multiple times. They did more analysis and then it got approval for her to fly into the country. And so she's a few days behind us, uh, quarantine wise, we're on day five. So she's like on day two, but the, yeah, the good news was they were able to identify the false positive and, and get her here safely, which is great. And it looks like she's, she's ready to go for Newcastle as far as timing and everything. She'll be good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jill, Cause they're, they actually made this quarantine the way it was so that there is about six, seven days before day one. So surfers can get out in the water, you know, get the rust off of being in a room all day and, and work out their equipment. So yeah, Caroline will be miss a couple of those days and then she'll get right into swinging things. So she's, she's pumped. How, how keyed into the uh, athletes are you in quarantine? Like, do you, do you see what other people are doing? I know there's social media and we're all seeing some fun stuff on there. Is it your sense that everybody's like Courtney Conlog and just like grinding and probably getting stronger? Or are there some people <laughs> like, like, like is Connor Coffin writing an album? Is he like, what, like what's going Are you keyed into what everyone else is, is kind of doing? Yeah. You know, I've, I've sent messages with some of them. And then I mentioned the show we're doing caught inside. I've been able to have long form conversations with Jack Robinson, Carissa Moore and Michelle Berez so far. And so it's, it's interesting because, you know, with them, you kind of getting a tempo and it, you know, the thing is we're so early, it's like celebrating a marathon after your first lap or something, but, right. um, people haven't completely lost it. I was a little worried about Italo cause he's firing at all cylinders, but that's the way he's made. So maybe yeah. he just couldn't do it any other way, but you're like, there might be a burnout factor there from the social media. I'm watching like you with Griffin, you know, by himself getting loopy. And it was like day two, he's like, I've lost it. And you're like, oh man, we've got 12 more days left. Um, I'm a little worried about him. And, uh, <laughs> but I feel like the Zen people are just going to be fine. The people that do a lot of yoga, which is actually Jack Robinson. That guy is like a yogi. He's so bendy and so calm and his breath work is amazing. So I, the people that can channel that well um, will be able to survive, but you know how it goes for everyday surfers like us imagine top pros being out of the water too it's like right. you're gonna go nuts you're gonna feel weird you just you need to connect again jack robinson does seem almost like an old soul a little bit like he's a little bit more mature than his age would suggest there's something about him lately man like just seeing him grow from the the child prodigy that was expected to do a lot and he mentioned to me just all when you're younger, that pressure can get to you. You're just going, oh, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. Even though it's positive noise, it, it is just something it's, that you're constantly putting on your shoulders. And I honestly feel like he's just like, I'm here for me. I love it. I'm connected. I know how to handle all the good and the bad. And the way he's surfing is just showing and how good he is in, in Hawaii, watching him surf Sunset, Pipeline, Haleiwa. He's unbelievably ready. 
I'm expecting him to have a huge start. Even, even, I mean, Newcastle, you mentioned before, it's like, how's he going to go there? And he's had a lot of bad results there, but his qualifying year, he did have a third. And I think he's a, he's a different person. He's just more connected, more Zen, more like in the, in the present moment, his boards are better. His whole outlook is better. So I think his time off, he actually got more prepared in a lot of ways, more maturity for sure. It was what I'm seeing. What about his air game? Like literally, like, can he go toe to toe with not with Elo, but I mean, can he get it done in the air? Do you think? Yeah. You know, I, I was, you know, I've been in that same kind of place of watching all those strengths and there was that countdown series in Australia where he, he had a heat with Julian needed to score at the end. He kind of did that nose pick reverse and, and pulled it and finished. And it was cool. Cause it was clutch. It was under pressure. And I think the biggest takeaway I had, it was like a one foot wave where you're going, wait, you think he'd need a bigger section. You know, he, he's definitely one of those guys. I, I still feel like the better the waves get, the better he gets, but now he seems more intrigued with conditions like that. He, he's not having those thoughts of, oh my God, it's pumping at home. What am I doing here? He, he's sort of, he's, he's ready. He wants to compete. He's finding the joy in, in, that, in that moment. So I feel like um, his airs can still improve a lot. He's not going to be, I don't expect him to throw him down every heat or have that kind of like a Yago kind of approach where it's just second nature, but I think he'll use them in key moments, which could actually work to his benefit if he doesn't show them to the judges too often. What about this wild card Crosby? Pinto? <laughs> How good is that name? <laughs> this kid, um, it's going to be interesting. He's had a couple wild cards in CT events, as I recall. And um, what, are, what are your thoughts on a true wild card like Crosby coming in here and knocking out some, some big hitters? Gosh, he, he's a big kid, man. He, he's, he's taller than Griffin. He's just as goofy. Uh, they just as happy go lucky. There's, there's like this, you know, like just beautifully the vibe of Mark Ocalupo, you know, you, you yeah. kind of just get that around the Colapinto brothers, just this yeah. innocent sort of charm that is yeah. just so connected and, and fun to be around. And it just keeps you youthful. You know, Crosby has that just like Griff, his turns are bigger. He's, he's getting bigger along with his size. He's just so confident. He he's, really, really dangerous. And I, I know the, the events you're thinking of, I think he was at super tubos in Portugal. He got to feature there. He was pretty young and the conditions were a little wild, but I feel like he's ready to make some noise. He's been able to shadow his big brother and he is dangerous. I don't think it's one of those wild cards where you're going to, you know, see him get knocked out early. I think he can really make a statement at Newcastle. I'm excited for him. And how big is it that, that I'm assuming that Claw Warbrook stepped up to the plate here? Was it Claw or Neil Ridgeway? One of probably those two guys together. But for them to kind of go, hey, WSL, we're here for you. We're going to step up and be a part of this Australian leg. It's a disappointment that we didn't get to do Bells. It's actually a huge historical moment that there was no event at Bells this year. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on Rip Curl stepping up to the plate and, and really kind of embracing this leg of the tour and, and the rest of the tour. Uh, Claw's incredible. I think it's the, the coolest thing ever. Rip Curl is such an amazing brand. And I think to make this move, it's a testament to the, the real core surfers that love heats. Claw Warbrick, co-founder of Rip Curl with Brian Singer. Claw is 
watches every heat. He takes his own stats. He loves, loves surfing history, but also loves events. He, he lives in breeze form. I remember when we had our booth at Bell's, it was like this really cool place, like with a cool view. And then they were setting up Claus viewing place and it was like top <laughs> shelf. You could see the whole thing. And, and we went up there, I was with Sean Doherty and, and we were just sort of like, Hey, Claude, this is like the owner of Riff Curl. You know, you're just like, ah, this would actually be a really awesome spot for our booth. Cause we could see sets coming. No joke. The guy was like, yep. Yep. You guys need to be here. And he set up a little like crow's nest thing on the side with the TV, with the judges scores and a viewing spot with his binos. And he was just, this is all I need. It was like a little hut. And so he would just sit in his hut from every year after that, knowing that he wanted us to be in that prime location. It was like, what well, he was like, he was so in involved in making it a better experience for everybody. He was so giving. And I just, the dedication that he has for surfing is second to none. So when he signed up for all these, and I think I read one statement where he was like, oh, I felt, I feel privileged to be a part of this comeback for surfing. I was just going, this guy's got to be one of the coolest dudes in the world. You know, I, I think he's amazing. Yeah. He's definitely a character and he sure is. Yeah. yeah he's a classic. Um, Joe, I'm not a fan of ending the season at lowers. I'm of the opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm of the opinion that uh-huh. the final five guys should have the and and it makes sense from the WSL standpoint. Let's bring this thing to a radical crescendo in waves of consequence in September. I'm thinking Puerto Escondido. I'm thinking Chopu. There's a number of places we could go to where it's like, oh my God, it's on. Look, I get it. Lowers is a rippable wave, and we can really showcase what these guys are capable of doing at you know lowers the rights of the last blah 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 performance. I get it. But I just feel like, especially after 25, 35 years, whatever it is, of ending this thing at Pipeline, except for a couple of years in the 80s, um, I, and I'm probably going to be proven wrong, but I'm just on this horse where it's like, let's get these guys in waves of consequence. What are your thoughts on this? I think your, your opinion is totally fair. It, it hasn't happened yet. And so... I I've been asking every surfer, like, what do you think? You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's a cool thing to, to guess what's going to happen. Cause it's never happened before. First of all, the format, I love it. Like one day, like a super bowl day where it is on, we're crowning a world champ today. Okay. That format killer. And then, so now what you're saying, what's debatable is the actual location. I feel like it's more understandable and worthy since it's not like we didn't go to pipe, you know, it's right. not like a replacement. Like we have yeah. pipe results. We kicked off the year there and that had a lot of energy, you know, Teopo is on the calendar, you know, Tahiti is going to, is hopefully going to be the event right before the, the rip kill WSL final. So these events are still part of this world title campaign. Yes. It's not the, the actual world title day, but lowers I think is so valuable on tour by itself uh, it might not have that same energy where people are like fighting for their life in conditions that are nuts and, you know, trying to get barreled and broken boards where that just draws excitement. We know how much that takes out of us as viewers, but I feel like lowers as a venue is a great stage for, for this, for the first time, my dream would be to have this in the mentalized the next year. You know, that would just, just keep going to location, location. What if it was a different spot every year where 
it kept the, the best guys in the world on their toes. There's so many surfers that fell victim to not clinching because pipe was the finale, a world title. And then, thank you. You know, there's some people <laughs> there, there are, there's a lot of surfers that would just all of a sudden disappear and lose yeah. their title at the end. Well, we already have that result. So now it's, it's setting up a, a different type of formula where imagine Felipe goes into lowers fifth in the world, even though he'd have to surf the most to get there, you're going shoot favorite. He's, he's going to blow doors on that event or high energy eats a loaf. He's, he's at fourth, fifth in the world. Doesn't matter. You're not looking at that as a weakness in, in a wave like that. So I still have, I'm, I can't wait for it. It's going to be oh, so insane to see the format released for the first time. I understand how it's like, yeah, you're going to miss the finale at pipe because as surfers, we're, we like traditions and there's an energy that we are connected to with a season finale, but I'm glad that we've already had those events. They're, they're going to be a part of the title race. And then I think uh, in years to come, there's, there might be some more room to move and, and scout other venues. All right. Well, you're wrong, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fair. I respect that. I think that's cool. I love the conversation about it because, because it is so it's anytime we have a, a severe change like this, it's like, wait, yeah. what are we doing? And I feel like taking a, a big move is, is only going to help the sport get to, to new places. So we'll find out soon enough yeah. how this day at lowers goes. It's going to be no matter what, you know, we're all going to be glued to it because something's yeah. going to be on the line. We're hoping that the waves are incredible. And for people to be like, I loved lowers as an event. I love that contest. When it disappeared, I was, I was really bummed. I love seeing rights and lefts and guys are doing airs and guys are doing power. It's like, it gives you so much, you know, to, to watch. It's, uh, I think barrel get, getting huge barrels is never going to, be something we don't want to see, but for performance, like lowers demands that you're on from start to finish. And the discipline of performing in a wave like lowers is what more people I think can relate to what they surf every day. So I think the connection to that event will actually surprise us once the, that first fifth, first, fourth in the world goes down. Yeah, look, there's no doubt. It's going to be fun to see how it plays out. And it's also fun to kind of just, you know, like think about other situations. One of the things that that kind of pops into my brain is that because the format is smaller as far as the time that's required, is that in some regards, you could say it opens up locations that we might not have thought about that we we went, oh, you know what, you could never do it there because we need, you know, eight days of competition or whatever it is. How many days do we need really of competition for a normal event? Four? Yeah. About it, well, if it's a, a doubled up event with men and women, uh, yeah, we're probably looking at five days now yeah. with, you know, the overlapping format that can move a little bit. So this event, you're saying we can get this thing done in how many hours? It's yeah, it's one full day. One so, full day. Okay. So it's one full day. Okay. So yeah. we need wind. To, can you break it up into two, like four hour days? Like if the wind comes on shore? I haven't heard that. I feel yeah. like it's going to be one day. So okay, one day. I'm sure, right. I mean, if conditions fell apart, I'm, I'm sure they'd be able to look into it, but uh, I think well, it, it would be like does... waiting for the one golden day, you know? Right. Yeah. Cause it, cause it does open up the opportunity of some other locations of which I'm almost scared to even mention them during this podcast, but let's just say Rincon, let's just say <laughs> Malibu. I mean, you know what I mean? Let's even say wind and sea. I mean, and I'm just throwing out ideas because it's just one day I could see uh, somehow we being able to pull a permit and sort of massage the, 
the politics wherever they may exist to make it so hey look we're just here for one day let's do this allow us please thank you we'll honor you in some way it, it, you know i'm i'm just saying there's some other opportunities out there now that it's just one day 100% one day we're talking about 10 surfers the five yeah. guys five women and it's not the entire tour where you're starting from a seating crowd so it's a totally dis- different graspable day i mean fifth fourth that's one heat that's only one heat and then whoever wins that goes to take on third in the world. That's one heat. It only gets to best out of three once it's against number one in the world. So that this day is going to go very quickly. <laughs> it's going to be insane. You know what's also interesting to me is uh, is Kelly Slayer's Wave Ranch, the event at Lemoore. This event's going to have a huge, it's going to carry a lot of weight for who goes on to trestles. Yeah, you know, it's I think right now, it's yeah, it's also it's definitely gonna factor in. I think Tahiti might be the one right before. Oh. We'll we'll see. I know everything's kind of T B D at this point, but I but if it is in Tahiti, how nuts will that be? Like if you're sixth or seventh in the world trying to get into the top five so you can try to get a title, like they will be going for it on everything, especially if it's bombing. And even if you're you know, fourth and fifth, there's gonna be that incredible pressure of keeping your spot for the title race. So that brings, you know, it's like, yes, the lowers event will have intensity because that's where it all goes down. But in the lead up, that'll be the countdown. We'll be going, okay, they need to make it to the quarters if they want a shot at a title at the top five at lower. So I think that that'll bring incredible pressure to those last few events of the year. Yeah. And as the broadcast team, as far as you guys are concerned, there's really going to be a lot of, of basically of points counting throughout each and every event. I mean, there's going to be a lot of, hey, let's see where the FedEx, you know, in golf, it's the FedEx Cup. Let's see where we're at here, you know, and, and it, it, it gives you guys a lot of um, fodder, you know. Yeah. And I mean, and we always focus on champs, but it'll also be like, well, who's going to stay on tour? It'll be a lot of drama really quickly. And, you know, it's September. That's when the season's over. It's not December. So there's a, there's a whole not only are the change in the world happening and these events popping up on the fly, but it's also the new format change too. Well, this year is going to have such a different feel than anything that's, that's ever come before it. And, and we're replacing the bottom 10 with the, the best guys on the QS, the, the challenger series. How many challenger series events are we going to be able to pull off here? Are we going to, do you have any idea how many they're going to be able to come to? No. Yeah. That's a great, great point. It's, it, I feel like the whole year in limbo is you can't really plan too much ahead, ahead of time. And and so, yeah, for the challenger series, it, they might be in a position too, where they got to have to be, you can't count on 20 events in a year anymore. You, you might just be a handful uh, depending on the year goes. So I'm not sure on that. I'm, I'm hoping they get plenty of chances though, because the, those challenger series events that the primes that was used to call them. Yeah. Gosh, sometimes those heats are so entertaining. They're, they're insane. Let me ask you this. Have we had any challenger series yet to go? No, not this year. Okay. So right now the QS is based off of like an event in Florida that happened a couple of weeks ago. And those are the top 10 that are moving in. Well, we did do events at the start of last year. Leo Firavanti won manly beat Matt Banting the year before. Uh, I think those points do go somewhere because those were completed. And you see where I'm getting yeah. at? Like if we, if we only have one challenger event, but we have like, like a two star in El Salvador right? or something like, 
Right. Carlos, you know, it's interesting how that's going to fill in the back half of the CT. I'm with you, Bassi. I'll be like, I'll be really interested to see how that unfolds because there's a whole, whole nother generation that's ready to jump on tour. Well, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be horrible if God forbid Jack Robinson gets replaced by whoever that probably deserves it. Don't get me wrong, but to see worst case scenario, Jack Robinson not be on tour next year when we restart this thing and we go to Uluwatu and all, or we go to G land and we, you know, sunset. Bassie, Beach, you're, getting, like, you're getting worried. Don't worry about Jack. He's fine. No, I think he's <laughs> yeah. done. You're worried. You're panicking. He's fine. He's fine. He's I'm in <laughs> right now, man. <laughs> you're like, we finally got him on tour. He's, yeah, you know, he's going to be, he's great. He's, he's right. doing fine. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll calm down. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Who is, who's going to win the 2021 men's world title? Oh, come on, it. Joe. Come on. Well, I, to be honest, I've changed a few times in the last few months since we ran pipe. I was stuck on this, uh, Jordy feeling, um, when he just with thinking about how much work he's done in crazy big conditions, how comfortable he looks, just, he's just, he's the man. He's just so cruisy, but ripping and he's well, so to me, fit. For Jor- Excuse me. I'll interrupt yeah. you quick about Jordy because my feeling on Jordy is that, you know, he got a lot maybe too soon and he had like, you know, six or eight years of, you know, maybe he's getting there, but maybe he's not and some board changes and different shapers and his headspace didn't seem to be right ever. And it seems like now the talent and the headspace are kind of congruent. And part of it is like, you know, I know he's been, he's married, right? Does he have a child too? He does have a child now. Yeah. So there seems to be like some like, okay, I'm 30 something. It's now or never, but there's not the pressure of now or never. It's kind of like, I've been doing it long enough. I do get what you're saying about Jordy. I sense that there's some congruency with his talent and his mental space. Yeah, it's sort of going from the hype that's on you and everyone's saying what is going to happen. And now he's going, wait, I'm in control of that. And I do want it personally. So his fire is built on his own desire, which I've seen. His work ethic is better than it's ever been in his career. And I think he's feeling he's responding to how good his body feels when he serves. So it's- But you're off of Jordy, though. You're, you're not feeling Jordy as much as you were. Well, I began there. And then what I was getting, I saw John John surf a lot. So I've just seen a lot of John uh, since I was on the North shore for so long. I just was going, Oh my gosh. And so he just kept coming into my mind going, geez, how good is this guy? Just airs, just his ability. Same thing works just as hard as Jordy. John came on tour and he'd be like, are you training today? And he didn't, he was at the stage where he didn't really think about training. Now he wants it. He loves how good he feels. And they're very similar in a lot of ways. They surf and train together a lot. They're next door neighbors on the North shore when, uh, when they're home. So I feel like those two together have had an incredible relationship with mock heats and getting things going. I feel like John might just have the step up being world number one, uh, Margaret rivers coming up and, uh, just to, where John's head at, I think he is actually more focused than ever and having more enjoyment surfing, being injury free. So that's where I went from Jordy to start. And then with all the John I saw in my face, I was just like, I don't know how anyone's going to beat him. <laughs> so. Yeah. That, and that's, a, that's not only a safe pick. It's, a, it's, it's more than that. It's a pick that makes tons of sense. Maybe a better question for you is, and I was going through this with my co-host on my other show, David, let's pick the five that are going to be at lowers. 
we know oh, nice. we know it's at least in my opinion we know it's john john gabe and italy we gotta we gotta wrap those three up right and i told david i go and i think it's kanoa and Whoa, so that, i like so that, that and wh- where does that leave us with the fifth I mean, and you got to think well i guess it's felipe but tell yeah. me about, who where's your top five here who's who's in lowers that is so cool Jeez, that is awesome i like that you said kanoa that's really cool he's uh He's ready. He's definitely in a great position. So well-prepared, well-trained, but yeah, no top five. It's, you know, John Gabriel factor. I want to put Jordy in there. I, I feel like he will be there with the shot. And I think that's huge for him because he's so good at lowers as well. And man, what about the world champion? You haven't mentioned him yet. Italo, right. Yeah. No, Italo, Italo, Medina, Don John. Gosh, there's a few just Jordy. Things, and who's think, <laughs> fifth one's kind of fifth one could be a bunch of guys, right? I think it I think I think Kolohe is ready to be that that person. You know, he's he has finished in the top five before. And I think he's comfortable in his own skin. I think Kolohe will be the fifth. Okay. Good stuff. We got five guys. We got That's you. That's fun, man. I, I could play that all day. I'm just, yeah. my head starts spinning on so many different possibilities, especially going to the West. And, you know, I'm counting on, you know, John's going to have a win there. The guys that can adapt to that kind of rottenest Island kind of new kind of feeling wave. I, I still feel like John's in a great position, but I feel um, like Jordy's a reach personally. And I'll tell you why we got Newcastle coming up. Right. We've got Narrabeen, like, He's got to deal with Lamore. We know he's not a big fan. You know, so the waves have got to be – we've got to see some pretty solid surf on the West – in Western Oz, in my opinion. And it just feel, feels like things are stacking up against the big guy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could see – I mean, he had a baby, and I know they were in London for a while, and he actually probably spent more time out of the water than he was used to. But I think he's still connected, man. I think he's going to really uh, – really, really take advantage of these next couple stops. He's loose. He's still radical. His turns are huge. So I, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think Jordy will be in that top five. All right, cool. Um, women's side, women's side. Give me your top five. Are they bringing five to lowers? Yep. Five. So it'll be Carissa, Tyler, Steph, Caroline, Lakey. Who, who did you leave out? That's right there on the cut on the who's who's number six. Who's number six. Jeez. <laughs> uh, gosh, is that going to be, that might be, Oh, shoot. I, I did leave out Sally, didn't I? So yeah. Yeah. I went a little too quick. I got to get Sally in there maybe, but the top five has been consistently always Sally, Steph, Tyler, Carissa. Yeah. Like it's oh, yeah. like, it's so yeah. always consistent with those same names. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a trick question. Who's the best sports broadcaster of all time? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vin Scully, uh, for sure. Uh, Chick Hearn, right in that uh, in that realm as well. You only get to pick one. Oh, sorry, I got carried away. I, I was getting well, to pick those one are the in two I sport. expected you to say. By the way, but 
yeah, I grew up as a Dodger fan and a Laker fan. And so, and I think my favorite sport growing up was baseball, a little over basketball. And Vin's rhythm was just unbelievable. Yeah. His tone, his delivery, uh, the stats he had. And yeah. it just, he sounded like baseball to me. Yeah. So Vin Scully, That's what about yours? Argue. That's hard to argue with, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Howard Cosell. Oh, fair. fair. That's, that's, that's stupid. Vince Scully's the man. There's no doubt. Let oh, me ask sorry. you this. Joe Trapel. what would you be doing if you weren't in the WSL broadcast booth? If this thing never happened, if they never emailed you, if, the NS, if, if the, Janice never emailed you in the NSSA, <laughs> like, what would you be doing right now? Uh, so, well, I was always attracted to surfing. So... I was working for Blackline. It was a traction company back uh, when I was working NSSAs. I tried sales repping a little bit, and that was pretty funny. Um, so I think I was always going into a life to try to stay in the water and surf. I think as I've grown up, I would actually probably be more attracted to TV production and broadcast in just a different form. So I think it would hope maybe, you know, I would have been working with Vin, maybe writing his notes and helping him <laughs> and uh, getting him coffee. That would be and cool. Hopefully, uh, one day, you know, getting on air and, and baseball. That would be pretty cool. I see you as a pastor or maybe hey. like as a vicar or something. <laughs> you're, right. such a, you're such a good human being. <laughs> I, I see Thanks, you yeah. somehow leaning towards like, being of service to your fellow man. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I, I, I need more wisdom for that. Well, I think you got plenty of wisdom. Joe <laughs> Terpel, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with me and with the, the listeners of the Boardroom Podcast. I really, really appreciate it, buddy. Uh, Vassy, so good to see you, my friend. I loved getting your email. And uh, we did one 10 years ago. I'll see you in 10, man. Let's do this again. <laughs> Fair enough, brother. Fair enough. Thanks so much. Have a great day, buddy. I, I loved it. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye.